Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey friends, I hope this recording finds you well. Welcome back to the podcast for episode number 29. It is March and it is still freezing cold. And you know what I was thinking about before pressing record today was that I think small talk gets kind of an unfair bad rap. Uh, So what I mean by that is, you know how everyone's like, oh God, I just can't even... I just hate small talk. I just don't I'm going to go to like networking things or whatever and I just like hate small talk. Like I understand and I understand I think the part of it that doesn't feel good to me and I think to a lot of people is some sort of sense that you are auditioning for someone, that you are like really going hardcore into impression management and like presenting yourself a certain way that may or may not be actually authentic for you. So that kind of small talk, like I get it, doesn't feel good. It does not feel good to have to put on a face or fake something. But I think what gets lost when we just roll our eyes at small talk is that there are a lot of our just day-to-day experiences of being human that are universal or almost universal and so the weather for instance i i love talking about the weather with people i mean it's not like i talk about it for 10 minutes with somebody but it's something that we're all experiencing you know whatever locale that you're in and sometimes even across regions like it's fucking rained a lot in a lot of places over the past month and i don't think that we need to have this like self-righteous thing of oh god it's just small talk like no it's the human experience so how about we just like get over ourselves okay okay so now that we have that understanding um i am super super excited for you guys to hear this conversation that i had with lisa Oliveira. she is a licensed marriage and family therapist in oakland california and I, as you'll hear on the interview, I was recently introduced to her via Instagram, where she has a large following. And it's so cool, guys, seeing somebody on Instagram who is killing it because that's how good their content is. Not because they have like some perfectly curated feed or they're just like, you know, in their bikini doing bendy yoga poses on the beach or something like that. Like, her content is just that good. It speaks for itself. So um, she's she's really awesome. She's a writer, obviously, which is why a lot of her content is really good. A lot of the things that she shares are some of her writing, other practices that you can try for whatever the thing is, like anxiety or self-discovery or reflection. Um, she shares different tools and personal anecdotes which is a whole thing we get into regarding transparency and allowing uh, therapists, allowing ourselves to be fully human. So a little bit more about Lisa. 
um, from her bios. So Lisa is a licensed marriage and family therapist, but you might also call her an encourager of self-acceptance, a listening, but truly listening, ear, an advocate for vulnerability, and a holder of space for hope and healing. She believes we require less fixing and more accepting, less perfectionism and more good enough, less criticism and more self-compassion. Can I get an amen? Aside from being a therapist, Lisa is also an adoptee, a writer, a cat mom, a highly sensitive person, an INFJ, a photography hobbyist, an outdoor appreciator, believer in small acts of kindness, student of activism, and always a human first. So let's just jump right into it. Hope you enjoy the episode. Lisa, what is lighting you up right now? What are you excited about? Oh my gosh. I I think I'm just excited about being a human. <laughs> and that holds so many different things, but I feel like I'm just learning and unlearning a lot as I sit with people in my practice and go through my own journey and read books and learn new perspectives. I'm just feeling like I don't know, I'm just in this stage of kind of really opening up to yeah, all that that entails in a different way and in a just more exciting way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you describe that, it makes me think about um, James Hollis is this uh, Jungian like depth psychologist guy who I got to see speak last year and I've read one of his many books, but he talks about that sort of like midlife, but the I love the way that he framed it is like it chronologically like it happens at very different places for people um but it's just that reckoning with like oh crap like here I am and I have this (laughs) life and what the hell do I do with this and so it sounds like you're sort of in that space which is a really fun and exciting space to be in in your life yeah totally and I feel like I'm also just embracing the beginner's mind a lot more lately where I'm just approaching Yeah, different things with just a new opening to new perspective and understanding things that I already thought I understood in a different way and and just how that changes so quickly and so often depending on what comes up in our life. And yeah, it can be scary and overwhelming, but right now it just feels exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. And yeah, you mentioned that sort of like learning, sure, but also unlearning and you don't if nothing comes to mind, that's fine. But I'm curious if there are any like specific examples that that you think of when you think of things that in this phase of your life, you feel like you've been unlearning. Yeah, so right now, I think a lot of what I'm kind of unlearning are, to be honest, some of the things I learned in grad school about (laughs) therapy and about working with people and about how how I feel about what that is supposed to look like and what it can look like. And it's been really interesting just kind of integrating, you know, all the things I've learned throughout my experiences in school and and practicing and just letting myself recognize the things that don't actually align with me anymore and the things that I don't actually feel strongly about that I was kind of told I should as a therapist and I think just as a person. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of it is also just giving myself permission to recognize and notice what comes up for me when I think about those things and what I do want to let go of and kind of honoring that unlearning as a part of the process and a part of integrating my own self and 
the world and people and everything that I kind of pick up from all of my experiences along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I resonate a lot with that. And, and just like, obviously, there's things that were a helpful foundational learning experience in in grad school and, um, and kind of the agency settings and all of that. But it, it is there's like there's something that's shifting, I feel like at this point in a deeper way around all of the the humanity of the therapist, it's like if they've been saying for <clears throat> years or decades that the therapeutic relationship is the most important part, and yet the what hasn't caught up with that is the really allowing the therapist to be fully human rather than like maybe like a little bit human, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and that's something I've been thinking so much about just with social media and with having a small online platform on Instagram and sharing writing and just yeah, really thinking more about how maybe I am okay with sharing parts of what make me human. And maybe that that is okay from a therapist and and for a relationship. And maybe that can even benefit it in ways that I don't think we talked about or learned or processed even along the path of becoming a therapist. And I'm just recognizing that that aligns so much with people to know that we're all human and we all have our own story and our own experience. And and I think to deny that or to try and push that away and keep it quiet and hidden is to do a disservice to the relationship that could potentially benefit from letting yourself be human within that relationship and within that context. And and how empowering that can be for people to see like, oh, even even these people who have all these tools and have this experience, they're also human. They also have their struggles. They also have their own experiences and, and their own things that they're going through and their own integrations. And yeah, I just think that's really empowering. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of been lighting me up lately too. Like, yeah, letting myself step into being human and not being afraid of, of what that might be perceived as. Yeah. It's almost like in the effort to make sure that we were like, aren't sitting in our therapy sessions, just like telling them all about our weekend, which like, (laughs) and I've heard like one or two horror stories from clients of like, of, you know, something like that happening. But, but that's so not where most of us are at. And so the self-disclosure is like, don't do this. But that just completely shuts down so much of the other things that you're talking about that are so incredibly valuable. So I'm glad that there are a lot of us now who are being willing to say like, yes, I can stay within my ethical parameters, but also I'm going to push back on some of these ideas. Right, right. And I, yeah, just think so much about where those ideas came from and kind of the patriarchy and the system that we learned in and all of this stuff, which I know can be pretty, I don't want to say taboo, but challenging to talk about sometimes (laughs) right right it's like yeah it's seen as this kind of you know topic that we have to kind of have in small conversations when really I think it impacts all of us and and thinking about it personally and professionally is is really empowering and can kind of open you up to what is possible in terms of how you want to show up in the world whether it's in your job in your relationship in the wider community and yeah just thinking about how how we want to take what we align with and leave the rest and letting that be okay. Yeah, absolutely. So in that vein, um, 
how I actually found you not that long ago was I was doing a a call with um, a business coach because I'm like, "Mm, I think I actually want to use this whole Instagram thing a little more intentionally. And um, so I was getting some guidance on that and she was kind of sharing with me. She's like, oh, there's this therapist that I follow. She's amazing. You have to look at her stuff. (laughs) And so I did. And then I, I sort of you know, was skimming through and came across um, what you shared recently about your your backstory, um, your adoption. And I would love for you to just kind of share that with our the listeners just so they get a sense of the lens that you're coming to this conversation with. Yeah, so I'll try and sum it up as shortly as I can. But um, yeah, so I was abandoned when I was born and I was found kind of behind a rock near Mir Beach, um, which is in California. And a couple of people who were bird watching happened to hear a baby crying and it ended up being me. And so they ended up getting me to the hospital and and I was healthy and, and okay. And, um, and I was later taken in as a foster child by a couple who ended up adopting me. And so I've been their child ever since I was, you know, two, three days old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always knew that I was adopted. And I eventually learned that I had been abandoned. And I just remember having so many questions and being so upset by the fact that someone had left me. And I felt so ashamed for feeling upset because I didn't want my adoptive family to feel like I didn't appreciate them or like I was ungrateful. And and I also did receive some of those messages like you should just be grateful that that you were found and and that you do have a family. And it kind of made me learn that that my feelings weren't OK and that that sharing my feelings were were not really welcomed in the way that I needed them to be. And so, yeah, I ended up just really harboring those questions and that curiosity and that that deep sense of grief and loss and and lack of identity pretty silently for a long time. And eventually when I was 14, I was in a really hard depression and I was really struggling and I ended up attempting suicide. Um, And that's kind of when all of my feelings came out and I was able to start really talking about them with my family and with friends and with, you know, the people in my life. And that's kind of when my own experience with therapy started. And it was the first time that I really felt like I had space to sit with what I was feeling and to let it be okay, to maybe not hold so much shame around it, to maybe have it validated and and really heard and listened to and held by someone. And I was like, wow, like this is so powerful to have this experience. Um, And so, of course, my journey continued. It's not like I was healed right in that moment, but that's kind of where my sort of healing path started. And I continued going to therapy, I continued exploring this sense of what had happened to me and this sense of not knowing where I came from and all those questions and started integrating them into who I was and feeling a little bit more settled in them. But there was still that sense of really wanting to know this part of my story and and not knowing it and sitting with that, which was challenging. Um, So yeah, eventually I I ended up studying psychology in undergrad and I really wanted to become that person for someone else, that person who can hold space and and 
honor the story that we're all carrying in our own way. Um, just because of how powerful that was for me. And while I was in grad school, I ended up getting an ancestry.com kit and, um, I had it for about five months and I found out that I was, you know, very European, which isn't that surprising. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and, um, yeah, I didn't get much information other than that. And so about five months later, I logged onto my account and I ended up having a match with an immediate family member. So I messaged them and said, hi, like I was abandoned. I don't know anything about my biological family, but if you have any information, I would love to connect. And we ended up connecting over email and it came out that she was my biological sister and she had been put up for adoption through the traditional path where she knew who her biological parents were. So she ended up reaching out to her birth mother and said, I got this message from this person who said that they were abandoned and I don't know what's going on. And her birth mother confirmed that we were full sisters and that that had happened. Um, And so from there, I got in contact with my birth mother. Um, I connected with my biological brother, my biological father, my biological half-sister, and I ended up forming really close relationships with them. And I met my birth mom a year later in person in San Francisco and kind of just learned more about my own story and what had happened and and why it happened, which, yeah, was obviously very profound and very emotional and such a journey for me that I think I'm still integrating. And it's been about four years since that happened. Um, and yeah, so a lot has unfolded since all of that. But those parts of my story and my experiences are really just part of what makes me human and part of what helps me connect to kind of the universal struggle of belonging, of identity, of wanting to know that you matter and that you're worthy and that you're good enough. You know, I think my story might be specific, but it's also really connected to all these greater themes that we all struggle with in our own ways. Mm -hmm. And thinking about my own experiences really helps me sit with the experiences of other people and and not try to tell them what they feel or what they should do or or what that should mean to them but really to just honor what that experience is for them mm-hmm. and knowing what that's like kind of from both sides from a client perspective from a therapist perspective has really yeah just given me a lot of passion for giving ourselves permission to own our story and to explore it and to be okay with with some of it being messy and with some of it being challenging and and some of it being uncomfortable and just letting ourselves kind of hold space for that in whatever way that might fit in in our own lives which looks differently for everyone yeah yeah thank you so much for sharing that and it's like there's this one part of me that's that's like it's like oh wow that's so fucking hard and intense and weren't you so angry when you all of that but then it it goes right back to what you were just saying about like being seen and held in that space is not like me assuming what that experience was like for you like I'm sure it was obviously it was hard in a multitude of ways but Mm -hmm. like 
I, I don't know. I just, I imagine, I'm imagining all of the reactions that you've had over the years to that. And that I imagine that some of them may have felt, um, nice and that you, there was space for you to have your own experience and that the other others like having a unique experience like that. I imagine you're getting a lot of people's projections onto you about it. Oh, totally. Yeah. And yeah, it's challenging to hold space for all of that and to know that everyone else is also coming at my story with their own stories and everyone else is, is holding what's happened to me based on their own experiences and, and not everyone's responses about me or about whether I'm doing the right thing by sharing or not sharing or feeling this or feeling that. And it's like, yeah, it's very complex holding space for all of it. And I think we all kind of have that experience in some way of, of honoring our story, honoring our truth, honoring what resonates and, and what's important to us and also holding space for how that might land with someone else and, and knowing how to, to let ourselves be okay with owning our story, no matter what that might mean to, to someone else, which can be challenging sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wonder too, like you were saying, parts of this have really helped you to, to connect to the larger universal issues around belonging and mattering. And so like, I can imagine a connection between being abandoned and feeling like you don't matter. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and so that is a perfect example of like how we can create meaning. Like we're searching for meaning in the things totally. that happen. And that can be both a really incredible thing. Like, you know, Victor Frankl, man's search for meaning. And it can also mm -hmm. be something where it's like, wow, you made that mean something about you that you were what, like deficient or whatever else. So I, I would just love to hear your perspective on like knowing what it's like for meaning making to take that really, really dark side and also that maybe it's not always like that too. Yeah. And I think that really starts with being able to hold both. So we can very quickly try to put a silver lining on something or turn something into kind of like, a positive moment or say, you know, it's, it'll be okay, or look at the bright side. And that's so beautiful and helpful and, and powerful. And if we do that without also holding space for the hard stuff, we are bypassing our own full experience, which is complex and multi-layered. And it's not just good and it's not just bad. And so I think it really, for me, being able to draw this other meaning from my experience started with holding space for the shitty part. Mm -hmm. It started with honoring the fact that what I've had to kind of work through within myself was not easy and it's not something that I should have had to do. And and I had to honor all of those feelings, all of those experiences in order to get to a place where I could find meaning in it beyond pain, beyond those kind of wider experiences that I attributed to what's happened. And so I think in terms of meaning, we can, f we can certainly find the beauty in anything, but I don't know if we can do that genuinely and authentically without also holding space for the fact that some things are hard. And that's hard for people to do, and we see it all the time. We see people try and numb out of feeling 
the hard things. We see people try to avoid it or run from it or pretend it's not there. And it ends up catching up with you if you don't let yourself hold space for it. And, you know, Brene Brown said, you can't numb pain without also numbing joy. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that is so true. And holding space for the pain is what allows me to also hold space for the joy and what allows me to also hold space for the beauty of what's happened, the beautiful things that have unfolded from it and the hard stuff too. And it's always kind of holding room for both and not denying one in order to only hold space for the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and I think that that's true for, yeah, for any kind of the post-traumatic growth that can happen. It's like, yes, that's wonderful and incredible. And, and you may not have grown in these ways, like any of us, we may not have grown in these ways if these things hadn't happened. Not that we would have chosen to do the growth in that way. Um, but we eventually, if we feel, if we really genuinely move through something, we can get to that. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side of it, just like, like I think about how um, in, in ACT, I think this is an ACT thing, like they talk about our brains are meaning-making machines and they're problem-solving machines. And, and that's totally true. And so what happens when we are making meaning out of situations especially with our like kid brains but even mm -hmm. as even as adults when we're we're trying to make sense out of things that like don't necessarily make sense or aren't fair or whatever that sometimes the meaning that we create is is factually inaccurate right and so that's a hard part of this too because when i'm and that's what i mean by that is the internalizing right so mm -hmm. i'm what i'm making out of this is that, like you don't care about me or whatever when actually that might not be it at all um might be mm -hmm. they just had a shit day so so i wonder like how you kind of grapple with that part of meaning making with your clients or with yourself yeah so i think most of the time the meaning that we make makes sense based on our own experiences and our own story and how we integrate what's happened to us. Like it makes sense to to make that meaning when that's the information that we have. And so I think a big piece of it is honoring that it makes sense, honoring that, yeah, it makes sense that you feel that way. Yeah, it makes sense that you've come to that belief based on what's happened to you. It makes perfect sense that that's the link that your brain has made based on, you know, the things that have happened with within your life and I almost think of that as like it's a safety mechanism we make that meaning in order to keep ourselves safe and to protect ourselves from getting hurt and sometimes that means assuming that things are bad so that if we feel like things are going to be bad it doesn't hurt as much which isn't necessarily a, a, a healthy way of making meaning but at, at a certain point it protects us and so I always talk about that with clients and just with myself like yeah, of course, of course, that's the meaning that you made. And how can we kind of get curious about that? How can we dissect that? And how can we, can we look at why it does make sense? And why there might be other ways of holding meaning from this experience that feel more supportive, more healthy, more nourishing for you. And so again, I think it's kind of holding space for for both, mm -hmm. and acknowledging why we make meaning in a certain way. And letting ourselves open up to other ways of making meaning and other ways of, of looking at the meaning we've made and asking ourselves, 
is this supporting me? Is this helping me grow? Is this helping me move forward? Or might this be a barrier? Because sometimes what what at some sense is a safety mechanism then becomes a barrier when we don't need that meaning or that story or that belief about ourselves anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think holding space for all of that is really important rather than immediately trying to shift the meaning. It's like, how do we look at the meaning that we have made and honor that too? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that is one of my favorite kind of phrases to come back to always is, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. I get Mm -hmm. why your brain goes there with it, right? Um, For me and the people I work with. and, um, And it would be pretty invalidating to just like jump right to, well, of course it's not your fault. Like, no, it's his fault. He's the one who hurt you or whatever. Like, yeah, okay, that might be true. But like you said, we've got to honor like, yeah, I get why your brain goes there. Or like, that's, you know, just kind of part of how trauma works or it's, you know, based on your past experiences. I get it. And and I love what you said about being curious. Um, like, what else might be true? Like, what if that weren't 100% true? Like, what else might be true with this? Yeah. And I think that can be so empowering too, even just in our day-to-day lives. Like if we have a strong inner critic or if something happens that triggers some sort of wound within us, which happens really frequently, even when we don't know that it's happening, or if we're having a conversation with someone and it, it brings up something about us that we don't feel good about. It's like we immediately go to this meaning that we've been holding on to for so long. Like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, this person thinks this way. Oh, I'm not doing enough. You know, we can so quickly turn to this narrative that we're holding. And so when we can kind of pause and say, okay, like it makes sense why I'm thinking this right now. It makes sense why I'm feeling this way. And like you said, what else could be true? What else could I kind of hold space for? What am I needing to hear from someone else? And can I say that to myself? And so kind of also giving ourselves a chance in the bigger picture and in our day-to-day lives, I think, to hold space for the way that we do make meaning of things and to not bash ourselves or criticize ourselves or feel like something's wrong with us for doing that, but to just notice it and to pay attention to it and to bring awareness to it in a way that's not judgmental, but that's like, yeah, of course you're making this meaning. And is it true? You know, giving ourselves the opportunity to check in Mm -hmm. around it. Yeah. And that's why I really, really love like the ego state kind of work is and and approach is because it it is a way of really honoring both sides and to be able to kind of to help people see from the approach of like, is it your wise 29 year old adult self who wanted to like send the snarky text after he didn't respond for two hours? Um, Or was it your 13 year old self who's scared that that means that he's not in you know and that Mm -hmm. that's okay like totally get why your 13 year old feels that way and do you want her to be the one sending your texts you know to be able to like honor and validate that and and so and you do a lot of like inner child work too right Mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's so eye-opening to hold space for that part of ourselves, which we all have. And I don't think we're really taught about it outside of, you know, the realm of psychology or therapy. I don't think that's a conversation that happens with most people. Like most people don't realize that they are carrying 
these parts of themselves that that didn't get tended to or that didn't get their needs met or that felt unseen or unheard or unvalidated. And so when we respond to things, it's it's not just responding from this moment, but it's also responding from this inner child that we're carrying that that also didn't get what they needed. And so sometimes when we can slow down and catch the way that we're responding to something, we're also kind of not only taking care of ourselves in the moment, but taking care of our past self too. And then in turn, taking care of our future self by asking, you know, what did I need that I didn't get? And how can I give myself that now? And by giving myself that now, I'm setting the tone for caring for myself in the future too. I'm setting the tone for for making my own needs important, for honoring the inner child that I am still holding and what they might have needed, for listening to that and knowing that that plays a role in how we interact with people and just within ourselves now and I think all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people who um, might be listening to this are probably already on board with that concept and like, and there might be people who are rolling their eyes at that phrase inner child. I get it. Totally. It sounds like pretty (laughs) woo woo and whatever. But um, I may have said this on the on here before, but it bears repeating. I love thinking of it like you're not the the age you are now just describes how many years you've been on the planet. You're every age you've ever been because you carry all of those experiences with you. And so mm-hmm. if something in particular gets like, you know, hits on something and it's similar to a way that you felt when you were 13, then you might kind of step a little bit into that 13-year-old self. So that we really need to kind of honor that and and recognize and that it's, it's not about kicking those parts off the bus. It's learning how to like validate and acknowledge and dialogue and sometimes keep them out of the driver's seat. Yeah, yeah. And I think recognizing that is so important because it also helps us realize that we're not crazy and there's not something wrong with us and it's not totally out of line to react in the way that we do sometimes and that it's often about more than this one specific situation that we're reacting or responding to it often is tied to this bigger story that we're carrying and so many things throughout our lives throughout our days can kind of trigger that story in different ways and so knowing that we are carrying all these parts of ourselves all the time that we haven't kind of cut ourselves off from these experiences we've had as a child or a teenager or a young adult or et cetera, that those are still part of us and they, they inform the way that we think and show up and interact and respond to things in the world. Knowing that is kind of like almost a way of giving ourselves a little bit of grace for, for when we do react from this way that's like, whoa, that was out of line or whoa, that was a big reaction. It's like, well, maybe maybe we're not just reacting to this moment. Maybe there's more that we're responding to that that we have been carrying for a longer time than than just right now. Yeah, exactly. Of being like, well, why 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 did I get so upset? It was the freaking laundry. It's like, right? Obviously, it's not really the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I think that can be so helpful in terms of self compassion, like recognizing why we show up the way we do and. And holding space for all the things that we're carrying that we might not hold space for all the time. And just giving ourselves a little bit of room to 
to understand why we might be showing up in this way and what might be impacting how we show up in the world and what might be having a say in the feelings that we have about ourselves or about other people. And when we introduce self-compassion and understand that we're carrying all these experiences, it becomes a lot easier to just be a little more gentle with ourselves when we do respond in these ways and to say, it makes sense that this is happening and this happens to a lot of people and I'm going to be kind to myself right now instead of beating myself up, which is really hard to do sometimes when we often don't train ourselves to to notice these moments and respond differently. Yeah, yeah. And I love the concept of self-compassion and in exploring some of that, like with Kristen Neff's work and, and all of that, I'm always really interested in how do we sort of make these what can be really abstract concepts tangible, feel like something that we can actually do. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious if there's any any ways that you have noticed are really fruitful for you to actually practice self-compassion like what are the things that you might say or do in a, in a moment where you notice you really need that yeah so Kristen Neff talks about three kind of tenets of self-compassion which are mindfulness which I think is huge and so important and that's just tuning into what's happening in the moment within yourself and tending to it without judgment noticing it without putting a label on it and holding space for it without without kind of giving it, you know, a certain label or judgment that we might be used to giving our experiences. And the second tenet is common humanity, which means recognizing that you're not the only one, recognizing that you're not alone, recognizing that other people experience this too and maybe it's okay that you're experiencing this. And then the last piece is self-kindness. So that means talking to yourself the way that you would talk to someone that you love in that moment. And putting those three pieces together, she calls it a self-compassion mantra. So if you're having a hard time, if you're struggling, even writing writing out a specific mantra that feels good for you. So like, wow, I'm really noticing my inner critic right now. That's mindfulness, paying attention to what's happening this happens to a lot of people and a lot of people experience this and I'm not alone. So that's common humanity, which can take shame out of what we're experiencing. And then I'm going to offer myself some kindness right now. I'm going to support myself through this moment right now instead of layer it with self-criticism. And so that's the self-kindness piece. And so those three tenets together can be so powerful because It removes us from the moment a little bit. It allows us to practice being mindful and present to what's happening. So we don't respond in these automatic ways that we're often used to responding. It helps tie us to community and connection because isolation and shame are so, you know, pervasive in a lot of our experiences. And then it gives us a second to just be nice to ourselves. And that doesn't have to look like, may I be kind to myself in this moment? You know, it can look like, I don't want to I don't want to be shitty to myself right now. So I'm going to talk to myself in a more kind way. And I think self-compassion can often sound like this kind of woo-woo soft thing, but anyone can use it at any time and I think that's the beauty of it. You can use it when you mess up. You can use it when things are going great. It's not it's not kind of dependent on a certain 
state or situation. It's something you can access all the time. And so that's why I think it's so powerful. Yeah, agreed. And it's like, um, I like, I like how she talks about like with in comparison to self-esteem, like, yes, we need sort of a baseline, decent self-esteem. If you just think you're like the worst piece of shit. Yeah, we're going to have to do some work on that. But that in general, how I relate to myself and whether or not I can practice kindness with myself, it's actually more important than how I might judge or evaluate myself. Since like you just said, that is going to change from day to day. Like if I met my expectations or somebody else's expectations or not. Um, So this is so, it's just, it's there for you all the time. And I loved how you described and kind of breaking down those, the three aspects of it of that, it is something that you can actually do. You can sit down with your journal. If you notice that you're in your shit and you're just spiraling into all of that, sit down mm-hmm. with your journal and go through those three things of like, what am I noticing? The mindfulness, common humanity. I'm not alone with this. This is something everyone goes through. And, and what would I say to a friend right now? So whether it's doing that or sometimes I get that we're so in it uh, that we just need somebody else to do that for us. So even pulling up one of her meditations or Tara Brock mm-hmm. meditations that can sort of walk you through it, you don't have to come up with it in that moment if you're just like so in the middle of it. Right, right. And I think it can be helpful to think about this when you're feeling good and you're feeling positive or you're feeling more aligned with yourself too, to kind of make a a plan for yourself for when things do go south for when you aren't feeling great so that you know what works for you you know what is supportive for you which we can't always figure out when we're kind of knee deep in those shitty moments we can't always access you know this self-compassionate voice and so I think knowing that it is available to us and having a plan for when we don't know how to access it can be really helpful too Mm -hmm. cool Mm -hmm. So another sort of self-care practice that um, you mentioned that you do and that I have kind of dabbled in and and been really curious about over the past year is tarot. And um, I have the Wild Unknown deck also, Mm -hmm. which is such a beautiful deck. And I'm always, I I had one um, tarot person on for the whole interview. She pretty much talked about that. And I don't know if I remembered to even ask this question on that interview, but I'm always curious with anyone who does tarot and especially people who sort of identify as more of a skeptic, maybe. Um, I wonder how you view the aspect, like the predictive aspect of it, or like if you're doing a certain spread that has a you know, certain cards are are of a predictive nature. Like, how do you view that or how do you sort of engage with um, tarot as a tool for self-care or insight? Yeah, so for me, I don't think I look at tarot as traditionally as people who are super into it do. For me, it's more of a tool for self-reflection and a tool to kind of tap into my intuition and my inner knowing and my own sense of wisdom that I don't always have access to. And I think that that's true for me because sometimes I will pull a card or I'll do a spread and I'll have no idea what the outcome will be, what it'll mean to me, but I'll make, I'll make meaning of it. And for me, that alone is so valuable because it gives me a tool to make meaning in a way that I might not be able to do on my own. And I feel like 
in practicing tarot, in in pulling cards, in holding that space for myself or for my partner or, you know, whoever I might want to practice that with. It's also just a way to relate to these different parts of myself that I might not always let out without having kind of a, a tangible guide pointing me in that direction. And so that's kind of how I utilize it. I use it as just a way to to open up to things that I might be feeling or experiencing or wanting to move towards and kind of using it as a way to tap into my my own intuition. Mm-hmm. And I know some people use it a lot more in depth and a lot more um, traditionally, and I think that's beautiful too. And for me, I've just found, and for my partner, who's like a super skeptic, like not into astrology, not into any of that stuff, but he loves it because he's like, it gives me a chance to to recognize what I might be thinking or to tune into what I might be needing to tell myself that that often unfolds from thinking about these themes and thinking about how they fit into our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, And I do think there is sort of a movement right now, like there's a great podcast, I don't know if you've heard it, um, called Wild Soul Tarot. (laughs) Yeah, or Wild Soul Healing, I can't remember, Lindsay Max um, podcast. And I took her course, and I'm actually admittedly still working through it. Um, Not (laughs) done with it yet. But I, I like that because it does seem like teachers like her are sort of taking this approach of like, yeah, maybe learn some of the traditional meanings of the cards for whatever that is worth and helping you understand some of these archetypes. And then if you do a reading, let it be whatever it is for you that, you know, this, the three of, of, um, of cups doesn't have to mean, or three of swords doesn't have to mean something horrible betrayal is happening. Right. Right. So it's, uh, I think that it's tricky and, I was appreciating how you said, like, if other people do it in this other way, this is really that's beautiful too. Um, I it, it is a, a good uh, reminder for me to watch my own judgment because I just want to be like, well, what the fuck? Like, that's dangerous. If you're reading it that literally, like, I don't know. It's and even like, wow. I'm just thinking too about. Um, I don't. Do you ever watch John Oliver's show? Last week mm-hmm. tonight, did you see mm-hmm. the most recent episode where he talks about I haven't. Psychics? I haven't, okay. but yeah. I want to watch that. <laughs> yes. So it's it was really fascinating. I mean, it, like nothing that's like super surprising. Like it was kind of like talking about how um, a lot of these TV psychics are doing things um, that have potential big consequences, right? And totally. some of the things that they're they're telling people and that we we have not as a culture questioned that and we've sort of like you know just bring them on willy-nilly onto these talk shows like it's fine and and like oh yeah they're definitely communicating with you know your dead relative and 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 like that's a lot of responsibility that we are taking really lightly and Mm -hmm. and so i think that the same applies for for tarot and like not to say that i don't know like obviously intuition is real but it's like if I I just my skeptic really really gets on a soapbox with all of that so I have to <laughs> yeah yeah I hear you and I always try and remind people if they ask about tarot or if they ask about you know how they might use it I'm always like use it how 
how it feels supportive and helpful for you. Yes. It doesn't have to look a certain way. You don't have to emulate how someone else uses it. You don't have to apply the meaning that you might get from this external space to you if it doesn't apply to you or if it doesn't align with you. You can make your own meaning of it. And I think that is why, for me, it's so powerful because it provides space to make the meaning that you're needing to make mm -hmm. in that moment and apply it to your life in a way that feels supportive for you rather than like, oh my gosh, I pulled this card. It means someone's going to die or it means something, you know, which can be scary and, and it can be overwhelming. And so I think with all of these things, it's like, yes, it's powerful and take it with a grain of salt and apply it to your life in a way that feels supportive for you and not yeah. in a way that that kind of aligns with how someone else might use it. Exactly. Yeah, stay stay grounded in yourself and what you know is true for you um, as you're doing any of that, for sure. Yeah, yeah, which can sometimes be hard when it's like becoming a lot more mainstream and becoming more talked about and it's like tarot and crystals and X, Y, and Z. And it can feel like you're then kind of putting all of your own weight into these external things when really these things are sort of just reflecting what you already know in some sense. And yeah. Yeah. Like how many of these sort of spiritual objects do we actually need? Like some of them can be really fun. I mean, I have mm -hmm. multiple decks and like, yes, a lot of that stuff is really fun. But, um, but I do think it can, if we're not careful, it can kind of have that effect of like, we think that the magic is happening with that stuff rather than the magic is already sort of in you. You're just using yes. it to access it. Totally, totally. And that's why I love those things. And that's why I'm skeptical of, of putting meaning into those things alone when I think we are the ones that bring out what impact those things have on us. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite questions with any cards, whether it's myself or with others, um, is sort of like any card that you draw can be an invitation or a mirror. And so in that mm -hmm. sense, it's like if if I'm getting, um, you know, the, the lover's card, it's like that doesn't necessarily have to mean that there's something going on in my relationship that I, I'm not aware of. Like it, it could be a mirror that something in, like really great is happening. So, and same thing with like with a devil card, it doesn't have to mean like, oh, what is this addiction that you're, it's like, well, maybe it's um, an invitation to really notice like, huh, maybe I'm being less compulsive with certain things. And so that this, that's kind of mirroring, I don't know, not great examples, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah, totally. Like this, I did a yearly spread with my partner on New Year's Day. And my card for February was the death card. And I was like, this could be scary. Or it could mean maybe there's something I need to let go of. Maybe yeah. there's something that I need to kind of release, Maybe you know. And so it's kind of like, how can you draw what you're needing from this and use this as a way to tune into your own needs and tune into your own wisdom? Mm -hmm. Yeah, amen. So um, spiritually, a lot of your pictures are in nature. And mm -hmm. uh, so it sounds like that's a big place for you to connect spiritually. Yeah, I almost feel like nature is my spirituality. Like, yeah, every time I'm 
outside or in the woods or on a hike or somewhere away from kind of the hustle and bustle of daily life. It's like, wow, here I can really tune into myself. I can feel so much more connected to what actually gives me meaning. I can silence kind of the noise both in my mind and just in the world in those spaces. And yeah, every time I go on a hike or even go on a walk around my neighborhood and just pay attention and let myself be with my surroundings and notice kind of what that pulls up for me, it really helps guide me back to what's important for me and to what I want to give my time and energy to. And so when I notice that I'm feeling kind of chaotic or hectic or not aligned with what I'm what I'm feeling or doing, I'm like, I need to go on a hike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to go. I need to get outside. I need to, you know, go and, and be in this place that always brings me back to myself in really profound ways sometimes. And sometimes it really feels like a spiritual experience, even just going on a hike. And yeah, it's it's probably my favorite way to to reconnect to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first episode I did of this podcast last year, um, I just talked about how I'd explored barefoot hiking for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, get all these weird looks and everything. And it, but it's just, oh man, it's like, it, it feels like connecting back to ancestors, not in the sense of like, you know, my great grandparents and, but like the, the old ancestors, like the people who, walked on the ground because they didn't have shoes, right? Like they were a part of the earth in a way that we are, but forget because we created so many of these boxes for ourselves. Right, right. I think we have created so many barriers to just being. Mm -hmm. And nature is a place where you can just be. And I think when you let yourself just kind of arrive there and be there, you are so much more open to this kind of greater experience and this greater sense of purpose and meaning and whatever that might mean for you. I think it it holds space for exploring kind of outside of your own life and outside of your own world. And, and it opens you up to, like you said, to your ancestors, to the stories that have come before you, to this greater sense of connection to something more than just your immediate life. And your problems and your worries and, you know, your to-do list and all these things that we fill our time with. It's like time stops when you're in that kind of environment. And that to me is so powerful because there aren't many things in our world, I don't think, that help us really slow down and and really just be with what is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting the the concept and I'm starting to study eco psychology and I'm um, going to do like a year long training thing that I am mm-hmm. starting in April. So I'm really excited about that. But uh, it's like, I get that mental health mental illness is real, totally mm-hmm. undeniably. And yet like how much of this is organic and what our brains are capable of doing and how much of it is, the we are expecting ourselves to be humans in environment in an environment that is not human suitable and yeah just the the impact of that um it's just it's a lot to think about yeah yeah and i think about that so much too about how 
like you said, yes, mental illness is real. And I think the scope of mental illness and things like depression and anxiety can also be symptoms of this environment that we're in that might not hold space for all of our humanness. Mm-hmm. They can be symptoms of our experiences of, of, you know, being out of touch with who we are. And so of course, like, of course, we have these symptoms. And I do think that it's so powerful to think about yeah, just more natural ways of reconnecting with ourselves and how that can be so healing and how sometimes when we when we hold space for that and give ourselves space for that, that can be really transformative. And I don't think that's talked about enough. I don't think the fact that we can empower ourselves to find those spaces and to put ourselves in the way of beauty, like that is so transformative. Yeah, and just imagining like, this radical transformation utopia future if we could like get back to that like living like we're meant to live and uh that i i think we'd be our job would be obsolete you know i know i know and part of me is like i sort of hope that like i hope that we can work (laughs) ourselves out of a job because i do think that humans have so much access to their own healing and I think that we have so many ways of, of healing ourselves and, and doing things for ourselves that, that support our healing. And I think nature is one of them. But I, I hope that that conversation starts happening more, you know, of, of learning to tune into what we need and empower ourselves to act from that place and to let, to let ourselves access our own healing in a way that works for us, which might look like therapy, which might not. And I think sometimes it can almost be disempowering to to assume that everyone needs therapy because it it's kind of a a way to to not acknowledge everything we can also do within ourselves and our own lives to to support ourselves in healing. And so that's kind of one of the reasons that I started my Instagram account and why I started sharing writing is because I want people to feel empowered to learn about these things, to implement them, to have access to this information that a lot of people don't have access to so that they can feel like there are things they can do to support them in healing. And whether that means going for a hike, whether it means journaling, meditation, like all these different ways that we can support ourselves in healing, I think it's really important to to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And it 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 does feel like kind of straddling this line of on one hand very much we're saying get support get help like don't do don't you don't have to go through this alone whatever this is whether it's like a normal life experience like um grieving or it's something that you're having to process something that should not have happened or you're just dealing with the being a person of figuring out how to relate with your your self-doubt and criticism and and all of that so like yes you can get help you can get support you don't have to go through that alone and you don't need us like a lot of the time it's like that's great if you want that perfect I would I feel so honored I love doing it and like barring yes there are times where people are in crisis and and they need they need someone to be with them Um, they need someone to adjust their meds or whatever but yeah. but there is so much of the time that I think, yeah, it's not about pathologizing normal mm-hmm. human pain and suffering, but rather like 
if there there are ways that you want to move through this on your own, like, yes, you can do that with mm-hmm. your, you know, with your support system of non-professional people in your life. So totally. Yeah. And I found lately that a lot of people that I see and work with are wanting ways to implement healing in their own lives. They're wanting ways to access their own tools and their own supports and their own kind of inner wisdom so that they can take what they learn in therapy and not feel like they have to depend on therapy in order to heal and grow and transform and change and implement these new ways of being into their lives. And so in that sense, I think therapy can be so empowering to kind of support clients in understanding all the things they can do for themselves that they might not have learned before. And like you said, I think it can also be pathologizing if we don't hold space for the fact that people don't need us to heal. They might need us to support them in in figuring out how to heal, but they're the ones who are doing the healing. They're the ones who are doing the work. And so I always like to remind clients of that, that they, they are the ones who are showing up for themselves. And I might be a guide and a support, but I'm not fixing you or healing you like you're doing that for yourself. Totally. Yeah. So Lisa, what is the fucking point? (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) I feel like I have a thousand answers to that, but I think what comes up right now is the point is to make room for all of it and to hold space for all of it and to get curious about what all of that means based on where you are in your life or how you're feeling or what's coming up for you. Um, That's kind of what's come up for me me through this conversation is, Yeah. yeah, the point is just to hold space for all of it, including not knowing what the fucking point is, including the unknown and yeah, just letting it be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it reminds me of a, a quote that came up again at a yoga teacher training that I'm, I'm helping with last night with the no mud, no Lotus, right? That it's, we, mm-hmm. we get all the parts of being human and part of learning how to do this and, and be here is making room for all of that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, beautiful. Well, um, I will have this all linked up in the show notes and in, in the intro too, but tell people again where to find you online and on Instagram. Yeah, so my website is lisaoliveratherapy.com and my Instagram is lisaoliveratherapy and I share pretty often there. So that's probably the best place to connect. Yeah. And other than if they're in the Oakland area, you know, they can give you a call. But other than that, is there anything that you're up to that you just want to share about so folks know about it? Yeah. So I'm actually in the process of working on a book proposal, which is pretty exciting. And I will hopefully share more about that later. But that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, And Yeah, I'm also in the process of hopefully expanding services to work with people outside of California and to offer more specific coaching services around kind of some of these themes that we've talked about, self-compassion, owning your story, and yeah, things like that. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been so lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and you can find the show notes and past episodes over at wonderwelltherapy.com slash podcast. So any links, resources mentioned in the episode, information about guests, all of that good stuff you can find right over there. Also, if you're not already a subscriber, you can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Find me on Instagram at Val K. Martin. That's V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. So you can tag me in your screenshots listening and I can give you a shout out. And there's also a link there in my bio to review the podcast right from your phone. It takes 30 seconds and it really helps me out. It helps people find the show. See you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions.